there was just a, a leak out of the Chinese government that said that they're going to make this into a nonprofit. Can you imagine? So Biden wakes up and he writes his thoughts on paper and calls them executive orders, right? We've discussed this. <laughs> Can you imagine if he woke up and he's like, you know what, Jill? I think Amazon should be a nonprofit. This podcast contains the arguably witty banter of two friends, Skippy and Doogles, that like to debate about investing. The content is intended to be entertaining and for informational purposes only, not investment advice. You should do your own research and consult a financial professional before using any of the information in this podcast, and especially before investing. I'm so fired up that, that I don't even have time for pleasantries. Although, hello, it's good to see you. Uh, there's a study from the Bureau and Labor Statistics that came out. This is actually a little stale data, but the long uh, story trends hold true. And I'm going to turn these into some quiz stuff. But they break down five earning ranges from very early career to retirement and talk about income levels and spending levels and kind of how that gets sliced up. I just think it's fascinating stuff. So if you're less than 25 year old, years old on average, you're spending about 95% of your income. Basically, no savings at this point for your 25 and less, almost no savings. But you do spend $1,300 on clothing and $771 on your phone, which I find fascinating. You spend uh, about $7,500 on housing. Okay. But what's really interesting is as you move into the next age range from 25 to 34, that group only spends 70% of their total income, right? Their housing huge costs. That's a huge yeah, shift. Their housing costs almost double, going up to 12.5. Uh, so less than that, but getting close. This is the group that starts to be able to carve out savings. And so the average savings in this band is about 12K a year, which is pretty solid. Clothing costs go up, phone costs go up, household costs goes up, eating out costs um, also go up. Pretty much throughout the board, their income levels go, they almost double in this range. And then you can start to see when people have some free cash where it gets spent. So found that interesting. If you move into what some people would call your prime income generating years, which is 45 to 54, they only spend 65% of their total income on average, right? Housing costs go up slightly. Eating out costs goes up. Again, clothing... Actually, clothing goes down slightly. You start to get comfortable, right? You're in the office. You don't need fancy clothes. Phone costs go way up. I assume that's because you're starting to pay for a family. Um, and savings, on average, goes to about 20K a year. So you know all those uh, TV statistics about what age ranges watch? Yep. There's a reason that the 25 to uh, 50, sometimes I think it's usually more like 29 to 49 do i have that right? or 25 to 49 i think it's 25 to 49 yeah so the reason that group is highly valuable is because those are the people that are spending significantly less than their income and have that disposable cash to spend if you move up they kind of skip a group of people here from say 65 to 75 but if you look at people over 75 you almost go back to an equation that looks like the early income or excuse me, the early career uh, users. So they're spending 96% of their total income. The mix of their income changes. They get the majority of it from social security, a little bit from salary, some from 
uh, savings and some from dividends and property, basically. There's no wiggle room here in this group on average. You basically made all of your money to spend it. Yeah, and you just have your household necessities at this point. It's interesting, though, that if you made all your money to spend it and you uh, overshot what your spending goals would be, there would be some room for so-called savings. But the majority of people have done the opposite of that. So <laughs> there's no wiggle room in their budget, right? I, I, one, one thing that, uh, that I'd be really interested in, and this probably exists somewhere, but is for that last group, and kind of to your point, I'm curious as to, it may be broken down from a demographic, like a uh, like ethnicity perspective or socioeconomic perspective. I'd be really curious as to see how much is left over. Because yeah. this is about your like uh, the way that you live, but it's not necessarily about uh, what you're leaving behind. And I think that that's significant, like part of the, the whole economic structure. Right? So I'd just be really curious. You know, that's a really good perspective. And it's not in this data set that I have here, but I'll do some more digging and I'll throw this on the Twitter. No like uh, major insights in my eyes, just something that I found interesting and thought we'd recap. Um, yeah. All right. Well, so the other thing that I was just blown away, fascinated by uh, this week is uh, Elon Musk, Jack Dorsey, and Kathy Wood at a conference called Never the Heard B of Word. <laughs> I know you haven't. <laughs> Kathy Wood's like your favorite person on earth. Yellow trip to nonsense. Yep. Yes. So if, the, if there's anyone listening that doesn't know, Jack Dorsey is the CEO of Square and Twitter. Elon Musk is the CEO of Tesla, what used to be Solar City, which is now also part of Tesla, SpaceX. Um, I'm missing another company in there, right? Diggles, what's the... Uh, he's the, the boring company is the other one. That he yeah, made. yeah. The boring yeah. company he, too. He builds tunnels. And then uh, Kathy Wood is CEO and CIO of ARK Invest, which is a disruptive investment company that's had solid performance the last few years. Um, Douglas and I both don't think it's going to last, but right now the track record looks pretty good. So, and oh, sorry, before you hop in, ahead. I think a key for, cause I don't know, I haven't watched the video. So I'm going to just add my two cents in here to act like I know something about something. I, the, this conversation I think from a, like, what's, what's the background that allows you to have this conversation uh, is interesting because Elon Musk, in addition to what he is today, uh, back in the late nineties was a, a founder of a company called X.com, which then merged with a different company, which I can't remember the name of, that became PayPal. And so he has his his wealth has its origin in PayPal, which is about money transfer. And then with Jack Dorsey having Square, which is about the financial system and has components of money transfer. Uh, and then Kathy Wood has like, a, she has an economics background, pretty sure. So, so they all have uh, the financial system is of interest uh, intellectually for all of them. Not only that, it was a really good group of people and i think the moderator did a pretty decent job but then they all have been fairly early on the bitcoin train and are bright people that understand the technology behind it so it was, it was a really good group i just have to start by saying this and i i know you didn't make it through the whole video but i'm curious for your thoughts if i had to rate these people on like an interesting scale relative to that conversation maybe not in life I give Kathy Wood like a one out of 10. I was falling asleep every time she said something. Dorsey is super interesting. And, and I don't understand how he runs two incredibly successful companies from his iPhone half the time in like Africa or Indonesia or wherever. He's like a seven out of 10 on the interesting scale. And Musk is a 10 out of 10, man. He 
he just he's captivating he was uh almost picking fights with some of the stuff because uh the fact that tesla did not or stopped taking bitcoin to purchase cars is really controversial in the bitcoin community and a lot of people are mad at him for that but a lot of things he said were just so thought-provoking that i was i was amazed it was uh well worth the time on that front tell me why tell me Sorry. why so first Sorry, little backstreet boys apologies <laughs> are you watching that netflix documentary this is pop don't worry about what i'm watching <laughs> you're totally watching it <laughs> all right first musk is going at jack dorsey going how come twitter doesn't take advertising dollars in crypto and here's why he goes the money has to come off the hash strings and get translated into real products and services so the more off ramps there are the more real value um, crypto has to products and services and what he's alluding here to is something that we've talked about it's if bitcoin is just this thing that you can't buy anything with or not or bitcoin joe's coin whatever else your favorite crypto like if there's no off ramp as he calls it to purchasing real world goods then it's just this thing that doesn't really have real world value it has a collective value of the interest of humanity in it at that point in time when there's more off ramps so if tesla allows you to buy a car or solar panels if twitter allows you to pay for your advertising then it moves into a utility more which shifts more to traditional fiat. Thoughts on that? So what you said about the uh, the usability, the utility of it makes perfect sense. That that makes sense. But I also, something that we talked about before, I think is reflected in Musk's question, which is fiduciary responsibility. Like It's different if he said, Jack Dorsey, you as a human being, why don't you do XYZ that, cre- that allows for Bitcoin's utility? But he's saying, why don't you have your publicly traded company, which has a fiduciary responsibility to investors, accept this very risky and volatile currency, right? Like that, that's, a, that's a different, I, I think Elon Musk can't separate the, his own, in this question at least, I don't know him as a human being. I've yeah. only seen his cabinets, which are uh, controversial. The, <laughs> uh, I think he can't separate personally, like who you are as a human being from the company that you run that has a responsibility. And that, that's what's reflected most to me. Well, he, I, I want to say he can't, he doesn't in the companies that he runs and Dorsey dodged the question, but let me provide some context. The majority of this conversation, it was like an hour long, 50 minutes of it were about, I mean, there's some discussion on power use and there are excuses for power use. Didn't carry water with me. Like it, it didn't, I don't buy what, uh, Dorsey and Kathy Wood are saying on that front. Uh, but a lot of it turned into this crypto bitcoin specifically is good for humanity it will bring people out of poverty and free people from their governments and inflation and everything else so i think from that lens musk is going hey jack dorsey like you're saying bitcoin's going to solve half of africa's problems but you are running a company you have the power to expedite that change and and you're not doing it so that's hypocritical of you i don't want to turn this into a uh you know what i do i do 
there are three individuals that are on this video having this conversation, right? Yeah. What do these three individuals have in common? I see a lot of parallels between Dorsey and Musk. I don't know at all what Kathy Wood has in common with these folks. They're all white. They're all rich. Yes. They're all talking about saving people from poverty. Yes. Now, I will give you this. Elon Musk is from Africa, South Africa, mm -hmm. white South Africa, which is not Africa. Like, so let me, let me throw that out there. I feel like, and I, I told you I didn't want to, but then I dove into it. Yeah. Don't talk about like, there's a, there's a whole savior complex that it feels like is living in here. I'm going to use, I'm going to use my investments to talk about how I'm going to save the people that I'm not a part of is like, I, I have very little tolerance, I think, for for that that conversation. And why don't you use your publicly traded company that has made you a billionaire to to go against your fiduciary responsibility to save a people that you are not a part of that you shouldn't be saving? Like, that's what I have to say about it. So it's a it's a great take. I appreciate it. And I, now I'm I'm just hoping I did that previous conversation justice in my high level articulation of it but you're that's a yeah that's very fair that leads into the next quote i want your thoughts on musk says to me it seems self-evident that we should take a set of actions that will mostly make the future good and then he follows up and says i think crypto or some of these cryptocurrencies will make uh, the future better most likely he says it kind of weird but do you think it's self-evident? <laughs> I just love this quote. Like he says, it's self-evident that we should take actions to make the future good. But then he also talks about the probabilistic thinking piece here. So is there's a lot of questions here. Is Musk a really rare individual in this line of thinking? Or is this how rational people should think? Which part of that? That we should take actions to try and make the future better. Yes, let's definitely do that. Uh, I don't think that he's, I think intellectually, a lot of people kind of fall into that, that camp, but their actions probably don't reflect it for the most part, um, is, is what I would say. Uh, but I don't know if that's the majority or not, but I do think a lot of people fall into that camp, but it's, it's all, it's about the actions that we take. Yeah. Now the second piece is, and I think your answer to this is no, but I'll just ask, uh, do you think crypto is something that will most likely make the future better no i think yeah. that it could though i think there there are lots of ways that it could it's kind of like follow me on this analogy right i know you're gonna laugh at me but go back to episode i don't know five or something like that hvac is the new black yeah if i'm uh i am invested in uh, like long-term investment in hvac organizations because i believe about climate change like i think the world's getting hotter and actually many places that need air conditioning in their homes don't have them like the Northwest United States, right? Europe, right? Very little HVAC penetration and they're going to need it. So great. So I could say, and these HVAC companies are becoming more green in a lot of ways. And so I, I would be like, you know what? I think that like the world needs better heating, cooling, et cetera. I'm going to make the world a better place by buying these stocks. No, I'm investing. And I, I believe that these stocks are going to provide me with dividends and incomes in the future. If I, if I, I would do, I would have different actions if it was really about making the world 
better, right? If it was really about making uh, making Bitcoin into utility, then I as and I don't you know I don't know about Elon Musk specifically, but I would be providing I'd be like providing people with Bitcoin, like give it to figure out ways to give Bitcoin to the masses, um, build out build out pathways for the utility to to like live across Africa, like do that. Don't yeah buy it and then go on Twitter and call yourself the Dogecoin. Or the Doge, the Doge father, the Doge father. Like, yeah. like that's a, it, 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 you have to look at actions, right? Not, not words. And there might be a lot of stuff behind the scenes that I don't see. And so I don't want to, you know, dive too deeply there, but that's my, no, I think that's very fair. So just to be fair to Dorsey, he's spending a lot of money on development to try and make this easier to consume and transfer. Um, and that's, I think that's under the square umbrella. So is it his personal money? I'm not sure, but, um, there is some action behind him the others i'm not so sure here's the crazy thing that question i ask you of like is there a higher probability of crypto doing more good than bad for the world i'm still on the fence a little bit but i don't know that the answer is i'm pretty confident the answer is not no it's either like a maybe or a yes in my eyes i think there's a lot of places that need this utility where Digital and cell phones are already there, but fiat currency and stable governments are lagging behind and there's a, a gap to fill. So I hope that's the case. Let me get, there's one more mind boggling quote. Is there anything else you want to say specifically related to this piece before we move Just on? I, I hope that you're right. I, the My hesitation mostly comes from the people that are talking about it and the people that I don't hear talking about it. Yeah. That's where, but I hope that, it, I think it can. Um, and I hope that it does. That's all. Yeah, uh, actually, one more thing on that. Uh, Stellar Looms and the Stellar Foundation, which is a small crypto, it's like the 17th largest, uh, specifically uh, focused on the remittances market, which is $700 billion annually, is in talks to buy MoneyGram. And if they buy MoneyGram, I think that's something that could expedite this because they could take the, it's almost plug and play based on my understanding. They just put their technology on the back end and you could transfer money for, you know, one one hundredth of a cent from the US to El Salvador in a way that currently costs maybe ten percent of funds. So that's kind of an exciting development. Is MoneyGram still a thing? Apparently it is because they're trying to buy it. I mean, like <laughs> I I didn't I didn't know MoneyGram was a thing, uh, but apparently it is. Yeah. I I mean, if they if they can figure something out there, it's like awesome, as we talked about before. I mean, that's a it's a it's a really cool technology that has a great application. And if to your point, if they're able to pick up a service that is used, right, that has usability now and put, put the tech on it, that's awesome. That's great. And is MoneyGram still a thing? <laughs> well, the funny thing is, uh, the Stellar Foundation is a nonprofit, so. Like, I can't remember the last time I heard of a nonprofit buying a for-profit company to destroy their business model to help people not pay for it. It's like if, uh, I can't even think of a good analogy, but if like a nonprofit bought Coke and was like, we're giving away Cokes for free now or at cost. Wait, is, is this, a, are you, are you taking a jab at me or is, a, is that a legitimate statement? I'm not taking a jab at you. Why? Because. One of my one of my largest holdings, Tall Education Group, that we talked about before, <laughs> obviously not investment advice. China is coming out and saying we are making you a nonprofit, and if well, this one... might be, this might be a surprise to most folks, but uh, investors in publicly traded companies 
are not big fans of those publicly traded companies becoming nonprofits. <laughs> that was an unintentional jab. I'm sorry. I and should we have our little therapy session now on Tal Education Group? We can if you want. I've uh, I've I've taken a 24 hour uh, personal mental retreat in my mind palace uh, to, to to get through it. <laughs> So no, I, I want to talk about it briefly. One, because that sucks and I've been there. Uh, but two, because when value investors talk about margin of safety and trying to buy something that's worth a dollar for 50 cents, this is the reason why sometimes stuff just comes out of nowhere and it's completely out of the company's control. It's completely out of the investor's control. Someone in China, in China's government just decided that they don't like this space anymore. And I think they're going to regulate it out of business or regulate it in a way that is significantly less profitable. So that's an important investor lesson. Like you, your process here, I think was great. I think it's a compelling company. And even though you did everything right, right now, it looks like you're not going to end up, but that's just how it goes. That's why diversification is important. That's why uh, investor mindset is important. Yeah, at, at least for that stock. Heck no. I mean, the thing is, it's a to your point around basically regulating it out of business. We've talked about this briefly, but so Tall Education Group back in March, which was, so it's all time high was in March, was a little over $90 a share. Given the actions, or at least the, the threatening actions, like nothing's actually happened yet from the yeah. Chinese government. It's now at about $5 a share. I mean, it did. They have they've taken this organization and brought it to its knees. And I'm I'm kind of curious and I, and, the, and a lot of the uh the the like Chinese stocks overall are taking a hit too because there's just like a question mark. If they can do anything, they yeah. want it anytime. And I'm actually kind of curious as to whether it's some of this is real or not. I think some of it obviously is. But or if if it's a sign of power. Um if it's just What's the symbolic. ticker? Is it TAL? TAL. Okay, I'm pulling it up. Because when I hear you, something you can look, drop you, from you can 90 the, to 5, yeah, I'm ready to at, buy. You can look at the glory that I experienced prior to March. And then you can look at the devastation that I experienced um, past March. But it was kinda, it's kind of fascinating because I, so, uh, you know, we've talked about NVIDIA, right, as a holding before. And uh, NVIDIA had a four to one stock split that took place on Tuesday of this week. And so I, on like Tuesday morning, I wake up going about my business, doing awesomeness, and I get a, I get basically like a notification that says NVIDIA's price drops by 75%. And I was like, okay. Yeah. I was like, what? Like, Cause it's split. What? It's so terrible. Right? Like I, like my, my brain explodes effectively. The and I was programmer like, what? didn't know what they're doing. They did. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So then, but like, then it took like a second, but then my mind was like, okay, it's four to one stock split. Great. Yesterday morning I wake up. And get a notification that says tall education groups price drops by 75 percent and i was like wait hold on <laughs> what was was there a stock split going on here um but then i look at the news and i was like nope there there was just a <laughs> there was just a, a leak out of the chinese government that said that they're going to make this into a nonprofit. can you imagine so biden wakes up and he writes his thoughts on paper and calls them executive orders right we've discussed this <laughs> can you imagine if he woke up and he's like you know what jill I think Amazon should be a nonprofit. Like, can you, can you imagine if well, that was just like, hey, hey, hey? I used to hold ITT Tech. You, you remember ITT Tech? 
the you're not a believer those, that's no no and it's same as you i wasn't doing it for the good of humanity there was an interesting investment option depending on how the obama administration decided to move forward with for-profit education right there there just was and I lost all my money. Now it was a, a very small bet. I don't care. I expected to lose all my money, but the asymmetric bet on the other side, I, yeah. I mean, I picked up the thing at like, I don't know, maybe 50 cents. And if the business would have continued, it would have been worth 40 bucks. And if the business would not have, it was worth zero. So like, I know that's a different thing and I can't claim that for-profit education was good. We, we've talked about this specifically almost in recent weeks. Um, I don't think they should have had a business model, but let's not pretend that China's the only place where stuff like this happens. Oh yeah. No. Yeah. That's, that's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. And, uh, and a little bit. So I was talking with my wife yesterday about tall, um, specifically, cause we said like, so do we, at this point, it feels, it feels obvious that, I mean, it's like not a company anymore it's like what is what it feels obvious so he said so do we do we get out do we not get out right and uh and what we kind of landed was where we are right now given that like the significance of the drop here is it's now kind of a small bet with asymmetric like upside like it's like like putting myself back in the like uh in that place it goes the the downside is so minimal the downside wasn't so minimal just to be clear the downside was not so many. <laughs> um, but now it's kind of like either there's, I don't know what the, the Chinese equivalent of lobbying is, but either there's like yeah. lobbying um, of the organizations or uh, parents come out and they're like, actually, we do want our kids to be tutored and like the government or the government is, is actually just uh, is putting on a show and like, this isn't kind of real. Right. But they just want to show that they have the power of it or dot, dot, dot. Right. There's lots of other stuff. And therefore, there's, there's at least I can make up, you know, some of the downside that's already happened, uh, or it goes to zero, which it's like nearly close to zero anyway, right now for us. So, so we're, you know, we're sticking with it, but I mean, there, so check this out. Uh, here's, I'm not rubbing it in, you know, this all too well, but the historical price to sales ratio has hovered around 10. The historical price to earnings ratio has hovered around 200. And the historical price to book has hovered around 12. Current price to book is 0.7. Current price to sales is 0.8. Like, this is where value investors get excited, Dougals. But there's a regulatory component here that is very tough to predict. I'm going to look into it because I know you really liked it and I trust your opinion that way. Yeah, look into it. Look into it. For sure. So anyway, I didn't... I. When you were talking about the for-profit, non-profit thing, it just, it sounded like this might've been what you were talking about, but so I didn't no. mean to take us off so, track. No, no. I just need your thoughts on one more quote. I'm not even going to form it in a question. I yep. just want, yep. I just want thoughts. This is also from Musk. He says, crypto can increase the power of the individual relative to government. Really, when you think of it, sorry, there's like some verbal clutter in here government is just a corporation in the limit i'm not sure what he means when he says in the limit but he says government is just a corporation in the limit uh so sometimes some people are like against uh corporations before government it's like guys government is just a corporation in the limit and it's the biggest corporation of all and it's got a monopoly on violence and so you if you don't like corporations you should really hate government what 
There's like five parts there. Do you want to break them down? Or do you, am I the only one that finds this interesting? This is, uh, I'm trying to, well, because I'm trying to basically figure out not only what he's saying, but what he, what he's trying to, like what Barry's trying to poke, I, you know, that, 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 that's what I'm. Let's go piece by piece. So the first part, uh, do you think crypto can in increase the power of the individual relative to government? The the word could right goes back to it's kind of like the last point. Uh, oh yes, will <clears throat> uh, higher probability than not. I mean, phrase it however you want. The answer is no. Uh, okay. it, well, I, I think I think it is low probability, and mostly because I think that the power of crypto, like crypto actually becoming a real thing, the government will have to okay it, and so therefore, even if it technically does uh, increase the power of the individual it's going to be on government's terms that that's where that's where I, I i go low probability it might feel like that though i could see where it feels like the individual or it appears that the individual has more power but the government in the end right has the power it's kind of like um i'd even say if you look at cash today right does cash increase the the power of the individual relative to government like yeah technically like if i have if i got cold hard cash in my pocket i can do what i got freedom bro I can do it like yeah. whatever I want, right? With it, right? But government ultimately decides on the value of that cash. Um, they they're the ones that that make cash. They they make it the fiat currency. They're the ones that tell me that I can use that cash. So government will control the system of it, even if the micro, I have more power. Yeah, but around. this is a little bit of a cyclical cyclical conversation. If owners of major companies like Twitter start taking Bitcoin then there's off ramps and that it matters much less what the government cares about unless the government tells twitter they can't they can't use bitcoin which i guess could happen that's is the, that what you're saying yeah that that's part of what i'm saying and also that i think that uh in order for that to happen uh not just by people that have crazy beards deciding it's going to happen <laughs> for their you know for their companies because we're talking yeah. about like Elon Musk saying, yeah, sure. I mean, I know he pulled this back, but yeah, you can buy Teslas with it. Or Jack Dorsey saying, yeah, we're going to take this on Twitter. Sure. But we need like the the person that runs company number 367 on the, you know, the um, yeah. Fortune 500. Boring by the book yeah. company exactly. 367. Yeah. And like that's that's probably a lot okay. farther away. So how about point two? Is government just a corporation? No, not at all. Oh, I shouldn't say not at all. That's a little aggressive, but I wanted to get, I, I was diving in, but no, it isn't it. There are aspects of it that you could thematically, I think, kind of pull apart and say it operates as a corporation. Like you, you can definitely make analogies there, but overall I'd say no, the way that government operates. I mean, you talked about how the government doesn't look at ROIs, like government's buying $700,000, you know, toilet seats and whatever yeah. it's, you know, it's purchasing. Like it's not a, it's not really a corporation because it, it doesn't, um, it's KPIs, I would say are not reflective of what a corporation's KPIs are. And that ultimately I think is what, is what decides it. Are there, there are some similarities though? Thematic similarities. So at the macro, like if, if we had a, you know, sipping on our, our tea and having conversation, I think we could, we could at the high level, at the macro level, like have themes that look similar between the two. But when you look at the actual operations of it, I'd say no, they're like the similarities start to go away. Okay, last 
question relating to that quote. Um, does government have a monopoly on violence? No. Have yeah, you heard I kind of don't think so either. I think it might have a Halliburton, a quasi monopoly <laughs> I mean, like, on large scale violence, but there's, I mean, and maybe we should throw religion in there as well. Uh, if you talk historically about, whew, oh my goodness, you that's are. Not a, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like being rude or anything. That's just oh. there's a a checkered past. As it should I should I call it. you Beyonce? Or should I call you Sasha Fierce? You know, <laughs> with that, man. All right. Uh, thanks for hearing me on that. If you're interested, it's a it kind of fascinating conversation. I I like I said, two of those characters are fascinating to me. They break down exactly why uh, Musk backtracked on use, accepting Bitcoin. Uh, at Tesla, they talk about world energy consumption, uh, fascinating stuff. The funniest thing that I didn't mention, Diggles, and then we'll kick to more interesting things, is with every answer, Musk would be like, well, yeah, Bitcoin's like pretty good, but um, like Dogecoin, like Dogecoin's cool, man. Like, it, and it was just, it was hilarious because in a lot of ways, he's right. J Dogecoin is cheaper to transact. It's quicker. It's more available to your average consumer. It doesn't consume the same amount of power. But the moderator and everyone else at this Bitcoin conference were really not into that perspective. And that there was some good laughs that came out of the fact that he just kept being like, well, yeah, I like Bitcoin. Like I have a lot of wealth in Bitcoin, but uh, Dogecoin is like super sweet. You guys should check it out. I wonder how much uh, if there's like a brand test that you could have, like how much the brand matters. Around this, so if you if tomorrow we you just you basically swapped the names, you put Bitcoin over Dogecoin and Dogecoin on Bitcoin, what happens? Because the utility effectively is the same today. Not not, Very not similar. exactly. Right? Very similar though. Not you. Uh, the Bitcoiners would argue Dogecoin isn't quite as secure, but there's no there's been no security problems with Dogecoin to this point. But yeah. no, that's. Dougals, that's it. That's the thing. So if you're creating your own fiat currency, the branding is like Coca-Cola, Nike, or the United States of America, those brands are massive. And some people would argue that Bitcoin has some of that cachet. It's certainly the most well-known crypto. But if this space succeeds, it will be that a Coca-Cola emerges out of it. And it won't... It, it will be VHS Betamax. Like it won't necessarily be the one with the best tech or function. It will be the one with the coolest brand. And what Musk says about Dogecoin, I mean, he's hilarious. He's like, I like dogs and I like memes. And I think this is like cooler. And it gives me all the utility I need. I mean, it's kind of hilarious, but there, I know there's people that think that. I like dogs and I like memes. All right. <laughs> love it. Love it. Uh, no, so uh, three three smart people talking about this though. So I I, I may have to go and try and finish it uh, because regardless of of anything uh, that I've said or like thoughts around the the content or some of the the statements that were made, they are all intelligent people um, that are knowledgeable about the space. So I may go watch it. Well, and it, at least two of the three. Well, no, yeah, I don't know. Check it out if you're into checking yeah. it out. Kathy sure. Wood is very academic. Like she, she's very academic from anything that I've seen of her before. So it's, it's not uh, invigorating or like inspiring or entertaining or any of the words that like have goodness, 
but she's I, she's very academic. She knows her stuff. I agree. Like I just wasn't taken with her, and her hypothesis was like, oh well, it's program fiat currency that the whole world could use. That's interesting. It's like, yeah, I know. Like I'm not in second grade. Um. Anyway, well, well fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> What's in your fishbowl? Uh, so I have a. Uh, this is like a, a personal like uh, investment question for you. I'd love to know how you handle something. So, and this is not tall education group. <laughs> so uh, can I run that by you? Yeah. All right. Have you had circumstances uh, and whether it's yes or no, if you had him, I'd love to know how you handle it. If you hadn't had it, had this, then just what your thoughts are when you have uh, an M and a situation, um, how do you handle it? So the reason I ask is because, a part of the model portfolio I have, um, I own Five Nine, which is a like basically contact center software. It's a, a stock I own, and Zoom this week said they're purchasing Five Nine for. Oh gosh, hold on, gosh darn Siri, I don't want you to look up Zoom. <laughs> like <laughs> anyway, you should keep that in the pot. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, this week, Zoom said that they're going to buy five nine for fourteen point seven billion dollars, all stock deal. So this goes through. At that point, it's something like for every share of five nine you have, you get like half a share of of Zoom, yep. roughly. Uh, have you have you encountered those types of situations, and how do you handle them? Yep. So this happens to me a lot um, because I buy bottom of the barrel. Um, well, I I should buy I buy affordable companies with strong cash positions that are at no risk of bankruptcy. And so what happens when you're in a space like that is a lot of times the sharks start circling and try and buy these companies because they go, gosh, there's a lot of good stuff over there. And it's it's on sale right now. So like one of my more memorable ones was the Men's Warehouse and Jose Bank. And I actually, at this point, I forget who bought who. But I own the men's warehouse, and I think they must have been acquired. So there's a lot of things to think about when this happens. And I I don't want to sound like an expert here. I mean, I'm sure you have experience in the space too. But when is this acquisition actually going to take place? Is it like nine months to 12 months down the road or something? Uh, I, like Q1 of next year, something like that is yeah. when it's expected to go through. So let's do a hypothetical. Say the stock was trading at 50, and after the acquisition leaks or is made public um it's going to be acquired for 100 bucks typically what would happen within minutes of that news is the stock's going to go from like 50 to 97 or something like that right so then the question becomes if you want to be if you want to waste that six to nine months waiting to make that extra three bucks and then you have the regulatory concerns that sometimes come with these things and it's not always a done deal that the acquisition actually goes through. So if you get a big bump and you get very close to what you think the true value would be, I often jump ship, you know, six months early. In my example, if it went to 97, I'd probably sell at 97. And we can talk about tax consequences in a second, but assuming there's no massive tax consequences, like if I had held the thing for one month, I might hold on to get over a year so I don't pay short-term capital gains tax and everything else. But in most cases, I haven't really found that extra value in waiting the extra time because you can put that capital to use somewhere else, like maybe in Tal Education Group. But if the acquisition price is 100 and for some reason the stock only jumps to 75, that would probably mean there's a lot of regulatory uncertainty or whatever else. 
then I think the conversation gets more complex. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm in a similar camp, a very similar camp that it's, and well, it actually, let me, let me separate out two things. Um, it depends whether there's one dependency on whether it's model portfolio or not model portfolio, because in, in model portfolio, it's a, I'm going to, I'm not going to own the other stock. Like, so I'm going yeah. to sell the, at some point. And so it, it just, to your point, there's like a tax consequence, like evaluation, but I know I'm not going to end up owning on the other side. And the non-model portfolio, there might be a chance that I end up owning the other stock, depending on what it is, uh, whether it's a company that I, I'd want to like choose personally or not. So it will be sold. It's just a timing issue. Um, but I think that that's a, it's a, when you are in the individual stock game, I think that's an interesting question. So I wanted to throw it your way and see how you, like kind of what your, uh, your perspective. Yeah, was. I love acquisitions and special situations. And we should get Joel Greenblatt on the show. Oh, yeah. He's the world's foremost expert in this space, as far as I'm concerned. I think the more interesting side of the equation, which I know you're not necessarily in, is like when that acquisition is announced, trying to make sense of that gap. And sometimes there's investment opportunities there. In my example, if it's 97 and 100, and maybe you know that that uh, acquisition is going to close in the next week, you could make a quick three bucks if you play your cards right. And, and a lot of people will try to take advantage of that too. That's right. Anything Congrats on that, man. Yeah. Uh, that's no, the, but that's just nice news to counterbalance your China regulators going crazy. I love it's, acquisitions. It's actually like the uh, my my portfolio right now is like up slightly for the year, so I'm I'm trailing the market this year. It's up slightly from the year, but one of my top five holdings has been obliterated, and I'm up slightly, which makes me a little yeah. bit upset. But at least I I feel like it's you know it's all good. Um, so yeah, it does counterbalance that news. Um, but alas, uh, here's, can I make a, a, a plea to our listeners? Please. Yeah. Okay. To close this out. Can you please go to Reddit, wall street bets? And I don't know if they're short on tall right now, but if there is turn this into a short squeeze type situation <laughs> because Dougal's <laughs> could use some love. <laughs> Oh, now Dougal's, Dougal's, I never thought this day would come. You're begging our <laughs> listeners to go to Wall Street Bets and help make you a few bucks. I, I never thought of this, but if you're at Wall Street Bets, just say, I like the Skippy and Dougal show. Go give them a listen. Oh, that's true. See what yeah, happens. I, 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 I guess, yeah, that, that works too. I want to I wanna see if we could squeeze one more thing in. Uh, okay. I'll do it yeah. quick. Have you ever heard of solar value deflation? No. This is fascinating. You know, the Daniel Kahneman, like, what's it called? Like first level brain and first level thinking and second level thinking. Yeah. Um, so like what's been system happening? System one, system two. I think system one, system two. Thank you. What's been happening in California recently? You know, um, in the past decade, California mandated all new homes have to be built with solar panels. Really? And I actually didn't know that. Yeah. And so... Um, well, you lived in the Bay Area. There's no homes there, right? No homes, no new homes being built. <laughs> anyway, solar panels have taken hold in California, and it's an awesome story. And people like Elon Musk will tell you how great it is and everything. It's fabulous. Um, solar panels have uh, taken hold in a lot of places. Costs have come down significantly. It's great. What's happening now is there's so many solar panels in places of high saturation, like California, I think around. Uh, around 40% of homes in California have solar panels. 
the utility grids are completely messed up because they get an abundance of energy when the sun shines and they don't really need it. So all these equations where someone came to your house, knocked on your door and said like, oh, you know, the cost of energy is X per kilowatt and your solar panels are going to generate this many kilowatts of energy. So you, your payback period is like seven years. Well, that's not really holding true anymore because the power shows up at the wrong time of day, basically. And so now the utilities are saying, oh, yeah, the cost of energy is X per kilowatt, but the cost of energy coming off solar panels is less than that because that's the time when we don't actually need the energy. And it's just this perfect example of whether you call it system two or whatever you call it. Like it's complex game theory even. There, there's a component problem in there. It's you think you have the system figured out. It seems simple and then it's not simple at all because the dynamics around you are changing. There's so many parallels to the investment space. I just thought this was super fascinating and it's something I'm mad that I didn't put together on my own, but I didn't. Do you have anything you could send over about that? I'd love yeah. to read more about it. That's really interesting. So it's a pretty basic article. It's in the MIT Technology Review, but I, I think it will get your head kind of spinning a little bit and uh, maybe we can find uh, more info on it. I'll, I'll throw it on the Twitter too. So as we wrap, if you want to find us, hit up the Twitter at Skippy Dougals, at Skippy Dougals at gmail.com. If you want a sticker or some show merch, uh, send some good stuff our way and uh, we'll hit you up with that. Thanks everybody. <laughs>